Welcome to Victory Formation with KG, a podcast that brings you smart, insightful analysis on sports, current events, and hip-hop from a unique urban perspective. I'm joined by Craig G and 2K on the path to victory. This is Victory Formation. Let's take a knee. On today's show, we will reflect on the life and legacy of Coach John Thompson, follow up on the Republican National Convention, and bid farewell to King T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman. Sunday, we lost John Thompson, the legendary Hall of Fame basketball coach who led Georgetown University to the NCAA Basketball Championship in 1984 as he became the first black head coach to win an NCAA championship. Coach Thompson meant a lot to us. It was a huge part of my childhood, so we are going to pay tribute to him and celebrate his legacy. Coach Thompson is easily on my Mount Rushmore of DC sports. I fell in love with hoops watching his teams We'll get into the numbers. In 27 seasons, all at Georgetown from 1972 to 1999, Coach Thompson's overall record was 596 wins and 239 losses, including a 34-19 and NCAA tournament record with three Final Fours. He dominated the Big East, was an integral part of the Big East. He had seven uh, regular season championships. He had six Big East tournament championships. He also coached the USA Olympic team to bronze in 1988, the last all-collegiate team before the pros came in with the Dream Team in 1992. Big John was legit. There's so much to discuss with Coach Thompson and the Hoyas deserve an entire show. We'll get to that at some point. But for today, we'll reflect on Coach Thompson and give you some of the highlights that we saw. Yeah, we lost a good one. Coach John Thompson at 78, days before his 79th birthday, today actually being his birthday, um, this is a tough one. I mean, some of my first memories growing up are going and watching the Georgetown basketball games. Anytime it was snow, dad would load us into the four-wheel drive Toyota Tercel and take us up to the Cap Center to watch the Hoyas play. So, I mean, I have so many great memories growing up. Me and you, KG, we're in the house with the Nerf basketball. We're in there acting like we're two players, you know? I'll call myself Smitty and Patrick. Smitty, passes to Patrick, goes up, shoot. These were some great memories, man. So this this is a tough one, Um, a legend in the DMV. And for those that don't understand or know what the DMV is, DC, Maryland, and Virginia, I mean, he's one of the greats. We look at all the talent that's come out of this area. We got Kevin Durant, we got Beasley, Ty Lawson. I mean, the list goes on and on. But where it started, most of those players were coming out of Georgetown. I mean, he coached up some Hall of Famers like Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Matumbo, AI. I mean, we wanted to be a part of Georgetown University growing up. We wanted to be on that squad. Oh, I was on the squad. Or at least I thought I was. I mean, because I know when I first started playing at St. Bernard's, <laughs> I mean, intramurals, the mean green fight machine, you couldn't tell me I wasn't Patrick Ewing. Oh, and I had my Adidas too? Oh, yeah. I might have been a point guard, but I was trying to block every shot that was out there, you know, uh, uh, defense. <laughs> so, yeah, I was definitely connected to the Hoyas. You know, that was that was my team. That was my squad. You talking about going to the games and going to the Cap Center and, and seeing AI do his thing and, and drop 39 against uh, Villanova. This was um, just an everyday thing to see, you know, greatness. And uh, what Coach Thompson did, the foundation that he laid was tremendous. So another point that I wanted to make in, in terms of his legacy is looking at him as the educator. So you have Coach Thompson come in, and as he enters Georgetown, he comes from St. Anthony's from the high school, but he brings in the first person that he hires is his academic advisor, is on his staff. So he brings in kids to Georgetown and says, all right, I'm going to get y'all back out through the door with a degree. And as we've seen, we've heard the numbers. He, out of guys that played four years, 
had a 95, 97%, let me check that, 97% graduation rate. So if you were there for four years, you are almost guaranteed to walk out with a Georgetown degree and go ahead and do your thing, young man. So Coach Thompson, the educator that was there, and then we can't forget about, as you said, him standing up and being uh, social justice and leading protests. Coach Thompson protested Prop 42, which was an extension of Prop 48. And Prop 42 said that if you were a partial qualifier, you couldn't even get a scholarship. Whereas before with Prop 48, if you had a 700 SAT or a 2.0 in high school, one of those two, you were able to come in. You couldn't play, but yet you were still able to get a scholarship. Prop 42 came in and took that away and said you couldn't even get a scholarship. So Coach Thompson said, well, nah, this right here is, we know that the, the college boards, the SATs, the ACT is culturally biased. That's already been, been through a debate and pretty much is stated as fact, and we know that. So now, why are you gonna hold that against somebody? It really should just tell you this is where you are, not whether or not you can get in here and do the work. And as he showed, 97% that was here, boom, they got through it. And also with that was that you had 90% of the kids who were gonna be affected by Prop 42 and not be able to play, 90% were black. So what did Coach Thompson do? In a game against Boston College, right before tip-off, Coach Thompson walks off the court in protest to raise the awareness of what Prop 42 was and how unfair it was and that it was negatively impacting the black community and black players. And he stood up for those kids. So him and the ed and education being a part of what he was, you got to salute him for that. And there's never been anyone that did it the way that he did it. Yeah, wow. I don't remember the graduation rate being that high, especially back in that era. Like, I mean, I don't even know. What was the normal uh, graduation rate around that time? Do you know? I don't, but we'll, we, if it was 50, you'll be fine with that. We'll go with that 60, whatever you want to say. It wasn't close to 97. Yeah, I mean, that that's major for, for that time frame. And, and we even see support now. So, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, to, to almost get 100% of guys graduating through the door and so we're clear Georgetown being a Jesuit institution just like my alma mater Boston College Jesuit also but it is difficult it is it is rigorous academically so it's not the easiest place to come into and you know thrive so the fact that he's created a system in order to where I believe his 97% is probably on par if not higher than what overall it is for the school because a lot of times schools that have about a 94 and you pretty much beating your chest to say hey 94 if you're at 97 that's you know where you want to be and if we're also talking about in terms of recruiting when you step into someone's home and you're recruiting their child and you say sir ma'am if you come here and you let me you know be here with your child i'm gonna make sure that they get through one of the things that they're going to want to hear, yes, we all think we're going to, you know, to the to the pros, but the parent knows that if that don't happen, what's going to, are they going to still make it? So when you can come in there and say, well, 97%, if you're here for four years, you walking up out of here with a degree. Okay, I can deal with that. You know, if, it, if you don't make it, you might not. The stats tell me you probably won't. So most likely you're going to need something else and you're going to have to get a job up, up out of here. So if you get that degree, let's go ahead and do it. Yeah, he definitely had that father figure um, energy going where, I mean, we know going to school is hard. And, and for some that definitely don't have that support system at home to go away to school, that's even harder. So for them being there and having that father figure role model kind of to, to look up to and give that extra push to help you with your schooling and say, hey, we gonna, we're going to make sure you graduate. I mean, come on now. Who doesn't want that? I needed that. <laughs> we we all do. I know I, it, it helped me. I know uh, my academic advisor, more than even the coach, Martha. Shout out to Martha Malumphy Hink. She helped me out for sure. She would be on my butt. <laughs> be like, get to class, make sure you're doing whatever. And sometimes you need that extra push. I mean, that can make all the difference from, you know, somebody not wanting to do and slack off versus seeing it through and getting in there. So with Coach Thompson, and you know, he's no nonsense. So 
depending upon whoever whoever you came from, from what I hear is that, and what he even said on his show was that you getting a couple four letter words and you know some some mfs and and all of that he was going to let you know <laughs> that you were screwing up so boy you better get your butt up in there <laughs> yeah he had that papa bear energy you know people kind of feared him you know he he was tall what, what was his height they said about six ten about three bills so you know that's a, that's a big dude right there I mean, every time I saw him, I felt like he was a, a seven-footer, you know, towering over everybody. Even in his later years when I come across him, he still was, you know, tower, towering over everybody. And let's get into the cultural impact. Coach Thompson built the brand, brought swag. So Georgetown University, no one, even if he was in the city, probably didn't even know what Georgetown University was, let alone anyone else around the country uh, worldwide, what we have now. So what you had was Black America's coach and Black America's team. And I heard a, a, a conversation from Patrick Ewing, who is currently the coach, in part probably because of Coach Thompson. And what he said was the first time he saw Georgetown play, he was in high school and he was an ECAC game of the week. And he saw this all Black team with a Black coach and he was like, oh man, I want to play for them. Hey, that was the same thing I said. And then Patrick says, oh, that, all right, that must be a black school or whatever. I want to go there and then come to find out it was nothing close to that. And that was the same experience I had. I remember telling dad, hey, I want to go to Georgetown. I want to go to a black school like Georgetown. I want to play for Coach Thompson. He looked at me, he said, boy, Georgetown, that basketball team is damn near all the black people at Georgetown. <laughs> they ain't, ain't no HBCU. <laughs> There ain't no Central State, as he would say. That's where he went. So he was like, ain't no Central State. That Georgetown is not no HBCU. But nonetheless, we didn't know. So we were influenced by that. You had the, the blue and gray Terminators, the starter coat, uh, Trey and Boys in the Hoods that went into the movies in the Hollywood. Then he, with AI, they had the, the Kente Claw. Uh, the style of play, aggressive, in your face. As we, you were talking about, that Georgetown defense. So... Coach Thompson came in and elevated the university. You know, they didn't even think that he would have came in and did what he did. And I believe it was, like I said, we said the Jesuits. So the Jesuits are the scholars of the Catholic Church. And one of the fathers that was the, the president, he said that I didn't know he was going to come in here and work a miracle because that's what he did. He came in and took a team that had three wins before he got there 12 years later. He's a national champion. He's an icon. His team is iconic. Uh, Georgetown admissions goes up. You got more people wanting to go to the school. They can raise tuition. So he just elevated that whole university based on the program that he created with the Georgetown Hoyas. He brought that winning culture to Georgetown. I mean, everybody wants to be a part of a winner, right? I remember those blue and gray Terminator Nikes, man. Everybody saw them. Everybody was like, man, you see them kicks? This is nice. And then in the mid-90s, you brought in Jumpman. You had the Jumpman on the jersey. You saw AI out there with the patent leather 11, going and crossing people up, ducking on people. Oh, man, the starter jacket. Everybody in the DMV wanted a Georgetown starter jacket. Come on now. The game hat, I mean, the, the culture's there, man. The winning culture that he brought is legendary. The starter coat was not just DMV, though. That was nationwide. Nationwide, the Georgetown starter was there. You know what I'm saying? You had the Georgetown, you had uh, uh, Pac with the UNLV, but that was after, that was, you know, in the, into the 90s with that. So you had Georgetown being that flagship of here we are, this is us, we've arrived, and you had Coach Thompson leading the way with that. So in addition to his swag, what you had was he was the star of the Big East. The Big East started in 1979. You had a bunch of schools in the Northeast, small, private, didn't have, you know, the, the, the funding that you have at the state schools, and but you had coaches that had personalities, and the coach with the most personality and the most bravado was Coach Thompson and his Hoyas came out and they played and they matched it and that was it. So his swag was there. And then did we forget the towel? 
Coach Thompson on the sidelines <laughs> with the towel on, sweating, wiping it off. You know, and this wasn't no tea towel. This wasn't no little small hand towel. Coach Thompson with uh, a, a daggone beach towel, probably, you know what I'm saying, on his shoulder, big as he is. He got that thing button. He getting on the refs. So Coach Thompson's uh, cultural impact is is tremendous. He, he laid the foundation and other coaches came after him. Uh, nobody has been quite a- been able to capture that swag that he had and build that brand the way that he did. I wish some of the guys would follow him. I thought Shaka Smart, for instance, at BCU was going to do that and go ahead and do it. We seen Mark Few out at Gonzaga do it and build a small, again, Catholic University. And now he's, you know what I'm saying, perennially in the Final Four or whatever. I thought Shaka had a chance to do that because he had that swag and now he went somewhere else and it's not quite the same. But it was like, man, follow the blueprint that Coach set, you know? Go ahead and do that. Be you. Make it wherever you are hot. Don't You ain't got to go nowhere to be hot. <laughs> make them come to you. Yeah, I thought more coaches would do that as well. And we see after he left, he still seemed like had his hand in who's running the program. Even after he left, it was like there they were still connections to him. I mean, who who was it that came in right after him? Uh, Craig Estrick was his, his his lead understudy, his lieutenant. He, he got him the job. And to, to your point, when you listen to him, he was a big fan of the Godfather. So Coach was a boss, <laughs> so to speak. So he pretty much had his hands in it. You know, Coach Emeritus at Georgetown, and he pretty much did have a say-so and pick, you know what I'm saying, Estrick, then his son comes in, JT3, and now he gets Patrick with a job because Patrick should have had a job. Patrick had, you know, some big man bias, I believe, whereas you would have thought that Coach Thompson winning and being a big man would have been open the door, but there still is, you know, some bias there where a lot of guys think that, you know, big men don't have the aptitude to be able to go out here and know the game, the ins and outs and all of that, and that they just big and they just, you know, bully everybody and they don't really have the finesse to, you know, do it. And you even saw that with Patrick's game, where Coach Thompson said it on the show, where he was saying how they said, well, how come you didn't let Patrick shoot the jumper that he shoots with the Knicks? He said, because I don't need him to shoot the jumper down here. I need him to be inside and intimidate and do that. That's so that he going to be in the paint. I don't need him outside shooting jumpers, being a stretch center. I don't need that, you know? No, nah, he definitely don't need your big man out there. If, if, I mean, for what? If, if he can battle down low, let him battle down low. He's unstoppable there. Absolutely. That's what, that's what you need. And that's a good coach. A good coach will have you, you know, doing something that you don't need to do. He's like, nah, man, stop that. What do you, why, why are you doing that? Come on. Go back to the basics right here. They can't stop this. Stay down low. Boom. We're winning. So we touched on it a little bit with, with the mentorship. And I want to double back on that and to say, when we saw AI, Allen Iverson, go into the Hall of Fame, his induction speech, he thanked Coach Thompson for saving his life. He had the issues that he had down there and actually still is connected to the issues that we're talking about today. And they, he gets, you know what I'm saying, railroaded essentially and ends up in jail. Uh, his mom pleads, and then I'm hearing uh, Governor Wilder played a, play a role in that. He gets to Georgetown. He thanks Coach Thompson for saving his life. The other one that didn't mention Coach Thompson saving his life, and he probably did, was Alonzo Mourning, and where we saw Coach Thompson in the infamous story where he calls in Rayful Edmond, the, the, the biggest kingpin in the city at the time. He calls him into his office. He's a big Georgetown fan. And you got Alonzo and another player were down there, I guess, playing on one of his teams and hanging out with him. And uh, Coach was running the clean program, but he he calls him in and was like, "Don't f with my players, and I don't want you gonna have to deal with me." And after that, it was a wrap. Alonzo went on and is a Hall of Famer now. But Coach mentored his guys. Um, even in that, they said that he brought the DA, DEA agents in there. He said, I don't feel like it's going to be, a, be enough for me. So he he shook up Alonzo and had the DEA come in there and be like, dude, I don't, I don't know if you know who you're messing with, but you really not about that life. So go ahead, come here, play ball, <laughs> do what you came to do. You about to be a millionaire before you know it. So go ahead, bide your time and do what you need to do. So coach had respect in the street. 
and he also had the respect of his players and everyone and he had their back so him mentoring um his players and and then even through his radio show like i was a hardcore listener of his radio show and and uh, although that was a dream to play for coach thompson and get some of those lessons i feel like when he went into the radio realm, that he gave us a little more and that barrier was down. And he gave us some of his his thought process and how he thought. And we know that he loves his sausage sandwich. We know that he loves to hit them slots. You know what I'm saying? I remember there was a time on there where Coach Thompson is out in Vegas and they doing a show from Vegas and all of a sudden, you, all you hear is, I hit. I and then bling 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 so he's sitting there at the slot machine as they on the show and then he hits for I don't know how much but I know he ain't playing with you know small money so I know he hit for something and uh but that was coach Thompson and he he gave you that mentorship and I felt like us as listeners that we got that from him through his show man how many coaches do you know that would go to a huge drug dealer and say stay the f away from my players like come on man that's <laughs> that's that's wild that is a wild story but it's also a true story man he definitely took care of his players like they were his kids and you know again had that father figure roll down so big up to john thompson um he's major also i forgot about this part Going to the casinos, yes, he would hit at the casinos. I would often see him at the casino over by the high limit room. He was always there. That was his spot. I would always go over, say hello, have a nice little conversation, and go on, hopefully hit, and he hit too. So, yeah, I'm going to miss him. So what you're telling me is, did you was over there playing with Coach Thompson? You got money like that? Dang. Hey, the casino, you can walk around. They ain't, they ain't checking your pockets for you to stroll through there, you know? <laughs> right, I hear that. So you said that he said stay the F away from my players, and we can see him saying that. Now, the, the real part on that, the other part is, can you imagine a contemporary saying that? Could you imagine Coach K, Dean Smith doing that? Like, you could bet you every last dollar <laughs> that that wasn't going to happen. That just would have been a cautionary tale of, guys got caught up or whatever so they didn't have you know what I'm saying the uh the gusto to be able to go out there and do that so coach Thompson you know had the bravado and the swag to be able to do that and be like nah we ain't playing that that's not happening and there it is so that's what legends are made of these are the things that make you legendary when you can go in there and you know what I'm saying talk to whoever you know what I'm saying whether we talking about the NCAA walking out protesting them or going here and doing that. Um, so Coach Thompson looked out for his other coaches also. So it was like the mentorship of the other young coaches coming up. So he definitely looked out for them and helped pave the way and say, hey, this is how I did it. You can follow it or not. But he said, here it is. And then let's not forget, he was a board member at Nike for several years. You know, he was on the board back, I believe, like in the in the 80s, you know, starting out with that uh, championship and maybe even before that. So he was um, always there. And uh, as you said, with the with the Nike deal with uh, with Jordan, he, he was on that. So Coach uh, Thompson was, was ahead of his time and uh, his legacy will be here, you know, what I'm saying forever. So we have it. We love you, coach. We'll just say salute. Rest in peace. This is Victory Formation. Let's take a knee. The Republican National Convention was held last week in Charlotte, North Carolina. The GOP started with an in-person roll call on the first day and then went virtual for the remainder of the week. What stood out for me was the overrepresentation of Black people. Did every Black Republican speak at the convention? I mean, it just seemed to be a little bit over the top and kind of uh, made up and, and casted, for, for lack of a better term. But that's what it seemed like, because it was like all these Black people here were 
uh, originally four years ago, we were told, well, what do you have to lose? To now you were trotting out all these people out the blue, you pulled out nobody's people I never even seen before. And they were up here speaking and it was like, I just don't see y'all, you know, that being who you are, you know what I'm saying? And even caring about black voters for that matter. And, and I know for me being, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to necessarily say all the way in as a political junkie, but I do follow it fairly closely and, and, and I'm very engaged. I don't, I don't think I've ever really had any kind of uh, GOP asking for my vote, like coming in, knocking on doors, none of that. So now it was like, we had a national convention and I, I'm making an assumption, but I don't think most people that live in black communities are getting that either. So it's like, why would you have all these black people up here? And then the other part is when I would say, okay, if you're telling me that's who you are, then where are these black people in your administration? So in your administration, I don't see a lot of black faces, but yet at the at the convention, they are all over the place. It was <laughs> it was it was very crazy to me to see that many black people. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. It was hard to watch. I I, I tried and I, I had to turn it off. I only I only could take it in, in small doses. But yeah, they definitely brought in a bunch of black people I've never seen before, never heard of before. And I, I did have a face that I did recognize, being that I went to Howard University. I had a, a guy, friend of a friend, let's call him that, that uh, spoke and pretty much had to take that picture and send it to, you know, my, my best friend on the baseball team in, in the group chat and say, you know, is this your boy? Like, what's going on? He tried to downplay it, but yeah, it, it was bad. I mean, we see they, they, they brought out all these new black faces, but... They left the ones that have been championing them for, you know, almost four years now. Candace Owens, the Hodge twins, uh, Pastor Daryl Scott, uh, Diamond and Silk, nowhere to be found. So what's that about? Do you get used and abused and tossed to the side? Is, I mean, that seems to be the Republican way. I mean, you saw it happen with Omarosa and she was championing him and same thing happened to her. So... All of a sudden, these people that have never had your best interest at heart are now going to, you know, look out for your best interest. Come on now. That, that's outrageous. Yeah, this this is foolish. I don't understand that, that mind frame at all. That that mindset is, is really odd. It's really weird. It's, it's crazy. So in theory, you would say Democrat, Republican, Green, whatever party it is. You, you know what I'm saying? Theoretically, you would just say, well whatever your beliefs are aren't attached to that and i get that part of it so to say that there's never a black person that's going to be a republican that's not the point what i'm saying is that i haven't really seen the gop ever ask me personally to say that they wanted me to vote for them never seen that and then this right here what we just saw it is called the republican national convention but essentially is donald trump's re-election and that's it it has nothing to do with anything else. There's no platform. They're not saying this is what we believe in and this is what it is. What they're saying is we believe in Trump. And when you, when you make that, that's where it becomes even more difficult because as I told you, he said, what do you have to lose? That means that I ain't doing shit for you. I don't care. I mean, there's no other way to take it for that. You know what I'm saying? To say, well, what do you have to lose? And now we've seen this is where we currently are. So where we currently are is like, you're the president, we're in a mess right now, so that's on you. <laughs> that's on you, don't tell me about what nobody else did. This is all you right here, buddy. This is all yours, you gotta take ownership for that. So I don't understand how they just go on this, you know, not even RNC, I should be re renamed the, the, the Trump <laughs> National Convention. The TSC, because that's really what it was. And it was a, a bunch of Trumps there. Like, was this whole family in there? Yeah, it looked like all the Trumps were in there and their girlfriends and, and women they're dating or whatever. Um, it's funny you say, you know, what do you have to lose? Let's look at Herman Cain. He gambled on Trump and lost. Lost his life. Did they even uh, mention that man? Not that I'm aware of. Like, I, I was like you. I tried my best. I tried my best, but... I could only take it in small doses with, you know, everything pretty much being a con and a lie. I mean, it's like 
there was no sliver of truth there. The, really, the only thing that was true was that there was human beings there and they were breathing. I mean, other than that, I don't, I don't know <laughs> what was factual there. Yeah, the factual thing that I saw was uh, with the fact checker after they just had the laundry list of lie after lie after lie or as a, what's the new term that they're using? The misinformation? Alternative it was, no, facts. It's, it's alternative fact. Come on, man. What are you talking about? It's a lie. Just say flat out lie. And that's what it was. It seemed like lie after lie after lie. But also, I thought it was very strange that you would see the people in the crowd you know, just one here, one there, one all the way over there with masks on. It's like, hold on. I thought you guys were anti-mask and yet you still see some in there. And again, after the Herman Cain thing, his whole thing going into the Trump rally was the people aren't going to take it. We're not wearing masks. The second surge is a lie. The numbers aren't there. And now he's gone saying that, yeah, I guess you should have worn masks, huh? Yeah, a lot to lose there. And then you have the Herman Cain Twitter still on and popping, saying and also saying that the, the COVID is not real. It's, it's this right here is some is, and we are constantly are talking about mental health and really making you know destigmatizing you know mental health. And this is not in any way of um, a way to to knock that because we do. I really do think that we have some of that going on. Like we really do have people that are like out here that need some help because. As we said, that what you're seeing is like, is this real? Where are we? You know what I'm saying? With everything that's going on and you're still doubling down on that. And I think we saw, we were talking about with um, the Herman Cain Twitter when it, David Allen Grill was just like, I thought you were dead. What are you doing? I <laughs> thought you were dead. Exactly. I thought you died. <laughs> you're still tweeting. So... I looked and checked it, and it was like now managed by his team or something. But to your point, the blue check needs to go away. Then down, you don't get no blue check for uh, for being the team. No, that was for check was for him, not for them. So they need to go head on. So the other thing that stood out to me was the fear mongering. So it was like all this fear mongering and anger that was here, and the attempt to scare people on how bad things will be with Biden while dismissing the current nightmare that we're in. It's like, that's why I say this back to this mental thing. Like, how do you do that? How do you mentally live in 2020 and know what we're dealing with and then sit here and try and tell somebody, oh no, it's going to be even worse. No, no. (laughs) What in your mind is going on that would make somebody say that and not only say that, but for you to take that in and then agree with it. Like that's some real stuff going on there. Like I'm, uh, that's where I'm at with it because you can't sit here and make that make sense. You know what I'm saying? This is not just some philosophical uh, policy difference on we need to get here and how do we get there? I say we go this way and you say we go that way. Well, I'm a, you know what I'm saying? We're not talking about that. We're talking about literally in a nightmare and we're sitting here pulling our hair out and these jokers are like, oh no he's terrible he's the worst thing ever and it was like really joe biden is the worst thing ever joe biden is a monster i mean come on nobody's buying that joe biden was essentially a blue dog as a democrat you know what i'm saying a conservative democrat so i think that's why we saw before when you saw some conservatives some republicans coming over and being like Nah, this dude here we these this is the times we're in we got to get this joker up out of here and uh Joe, at least we do know that the status quo of what we don't like <laughs> about politics, at least we know he's going to go down down the line, you know, on the ship. He's not going to go off course. And this guy, we don't know what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? No script. Everything's unscripted. Um, and he just throws anything at the wall. So the anger and fear mongering was too much for me. Yeah, we know what Don is going to do. He's going to con, and that's what it, all it is, is Don the con. This is a con artist, so he's going to tell you he's for you. So this guy's going to be worse than me, but things have only gotten worse since you've been in office, and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse to the point where you're denying science, you're denying the virus, you're denying the doctors that are trying to help you with the virus, uh, you're denying the economy, you're denying the job loss, 
is like everything he's denying and saying, no, 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 no. That's them. That's them. They're going to bring you that. I'm, I'm going to save you. I'm your savior. It's a con, man, man. John the con for sure. And, and that's where we are with it. And he's also going directly against everything that we've seen. You know what I'm saying? All of those norms. Uh, there's, there's a couple things that come up. And I don't remember the joke completely. Eddie Murphy and one of his shows, Delirious, or um, one of those from the 80s, you know, uh, Raw, where he talks about some guys just, you know what I'm saying, like some frat boys just as a joke. Ah, oh, we're going to vote for Trump. <laughs> it wasn't Trump, but that's essentially what he is. You know what I'm saying? It was like they did it as a joke because they were going to be straight no matter what. You know what I'm saying? Whoever was in office, they were still going to be good. And I feel like that's a part of, you know what I'm saying, some of that what you have is like, oh, well, he's coming in, he's an outsider, and he's doing this and that. And that was the first time around. And now it's like, all right, now that we're here and we told you that this dude was going to be a total, you know, screw up. And here we are, you know, um, bankrupting businesses. And then now here he is just screwing up government. You know what I'm saying? The only saving grace that we have is the fact that the system, as bad as it is, does have the checks and balances in place. And we had the midterms and we had some power to be able to not let him just completely, you know, run amok and ruin everything. But this thought that he was going to get in there and somehow flip it and make things better is it, it, totally ludicrous. And here we are. So the, 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 the choice is clear, you know, make sure you register. I just got mine. Mine just came in the mail. Plan your vote. Figure out how you're going to do it. Request your mail-in ballot. Um, because we know that this is what we're hearing. A bunch of nonsense. Yeah, and, and I'm going to touch on um, the, the thing with them. that It makes no sense. They're like, what has, have the Democrats done for you? And, and you, you sit here and you're like, they, they've been trying to pass all these laws and, and legislation for the Black community. And guess what? Guess who's been stopping it? The conservative Republicans. But they're going to tell you the conservative Republicans have been the ones sitting there trying to help you. Oh, we back uh, MLK. Y'all all of a sudden, now y'all back Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? No, you didn't. Like, come on now. And you look at the Bible Belt. The poorest parts of the country are what? Run by the conservative Republicans. The poorest parts. But guess what? They're going to say, nah, that's not true. It's <laughs> like, come on, man. These are facts. They're going to deny the fact. So the other thing that stood out to me was the fear-mongering. There was a lot of fear-mongering and anger, the attempts to scare people on the potential of bad things with Biden while dismissing the current nightmare that we're experiencing called 2020. So I'm to believe that everything that we're dealing with now would be amped up if Joe Biden was in office. Like, it, it, the logical steps that are not even taken like i can't even get to that point to do that so i feel like there was some type of like mental health thing going on to to get to this point because the 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 logic is really not there to to make a statement and we know where we are everybody is aware but yet if biden is here it's going to be amped up and and worse than what it is i can't buy that yeah it's crazy um they're going to tell you one thing while you see another thing. It's like, okay, I see this virus. It's real. I see these deaths. I see the scientists telling me I need to wear a mask. And they'll say, nah, none of that is real. It's like, hold on, what? Yeah, this is what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Also, the poor people. Yeah, they're really not poor. The economy's really not bad. Come on. We look at the Bible Belt. We see the poorest parts of this country are run by conservative Republicans, but they'll deny that. And then say, hey, guess what? What are the Democrats doing for you? It's like every time the, the Republicans are, are, they feel like they're back against the wall, they're gonna come out and attack the Democrats saying that they're not doing anything for you. Guess what? No, they're doing stuff for us, but y'all are trying to stop them the entire time. They're trying to help the black community, which makes no sense at all. And, and then the fear migrant, you got Don the Khan, talking about Rittenhouse, you know, he supports Rittenhouse. This is a domestic terrorist who went to Kenosha to kill innocent protesters fighting for social justice. And this guy supports that. 
it's outrageous. Yeah, so what we have is Trump doubling down on Charlottesville and coming back and doing the same thing again. So here we are again, and it's like, you're the president, this is on your watch, and he's, nah, it's not me. Um, we also have Joe Biden saying that Charlottesville was the thing that happened that made him want to come in. So Joe Biden sees Charlottesville and he says, I gotta do something because this right here is just ridiculous, it's out of hand. So he's coming in to bring some calm and bring some healing to the country, what's needed. And this guy, all he's doing is stirring the pot. He's constantly stirring the pot and look over here, it's burning there while I go over here and do something else. So the fear mongering was too much for me and it doesn't make sense. This is Victory Formation. Let's take a knee. K has joined us as we reminisce over the King. On Sunday, Chadwick Boseman lost his battle with colon cancer. Boseman is best known for his role as King T'Challa in the Black Panther, but also played iconic figures Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall, and James Brown. This was a shock as no one knew he was sick. Yeah, we lost a good one in Chadwick Boseman. 43 years old, colon cancer have been battling for four years. And I'm hurt, I'm shocked. Um, it's a punch to the gut. Um, being that we both attended Howard University, um, everybody there is hurting as well. I mean, we saw pictures of him for a few years now where he was, he was looking sick, he had lost weight. Um, from the Black Panther, you know, he was jacked up, he was swole, he, he was in shape, super muscular. And then we just saw him just start to to, to lose it, whittle away, um, pretty much just to skin and bone. So it, it, it's hard because during that time, people on the internet, people on social media were attacking him, saying how crazy he looked. Look at this guy, what's going on? Little did they know. This man had been diagnosed with cancer and was dying. During this time, he also was going to the children's hospital, going to the cancer ward and, you know, bringing joy to other people that were dying while himself was dying. So this is a tough one. We had a lot of people that were reaching out, a lot of good tweets, emotional support. Um, it, it was a tough one. President Obama tweeted, uh, Michelle Obama, Kamala Harris. We had tributes by Ryan Coogler, other actors, directors, everybody, the, the outpour of just the emotion and pain that everybody was going through is very, very touching. Um, but with that, now we have it pretty much that people are aware. Colon cancer is real, and especially for the black community. They say, you know, most men start doing a screening at 45 years old for the black community. It looks like we need to be in our thirties doing it. Cause I mean, he was only 39, 39 when he found out. So he's opened that, that discussion that, that we didn't have that awareness he brings to colon cancer and the screening process. So that's a good one. It sucks that we have to have it this way, but hopefully we'll move forward and we'll have more people that are saved because of it. Yeah, Craig G, man. Colon cancer screening is extremely important. Uh, I've been like anti-smoking since uh, losing my dad to cancer at the age of 10 because I knew he had lung cancer, but my mom told me it wasn't the lung cancer that killed him, it was the colon cancer. So it's like, you know, I've always been told, you talking about your 30s, I've always been told once you hit 25, it's time to start those screenings. And so I was, you know, typical response, like, man, a couple more years. Here I am, 23, 24. Like, a couple more years, I got to start doing this screening. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm ready for that test. You know how that test goes, man. You got to get ready. But all my dad's friends always say, hey, you be ready. <laughs> Just be ready. Like, you know what you got to do. You got to do it. So, like you said, the, the stats are crazy. Uh, from the National Center for Health Statistics at the CDC, one in 41 black males will die from colorectal cancer. 
versus one in 48 white males. Uh, similarly in black females is one in 44, one in 53 white females. So it's definitely, we're, we're at a higher risk. It's definitely important to get that screening done. Uh, so that's, that's, that's a wake up call for a lot of people. I mean, that's, that's super important right now. The thing that impacted me the most about um, hearing about losing Chadwick Bozeman was he was a part of something that generationally is something that I'll never forget. Like it's something that actually happened that I think my son will remember for the rest of his life coming full circle. You know, I said I lost my dad when I was 10. My son was, he was turning nine the week Black Panther came out. So I took him to the movies, just me and him. We went and I remember uh, send, taking pictures and posting on social media. And I sent you guys a couple of the pictures the other day in the group text. And I, I can't, I, I find myself getting caught up every time I look at the one of him, just looking up over his shoulder, looking up at his hero, man. It's like the people who don't understand how important it is for us to see positive representation of ourselves in the things that we watch. I mean, those are the people that that won't get it because they're so privileged that all of their heroes have always been look like them. You know, they're always like, and Superman always looked like a certain segment of the population. You know, <laughs> Spider-Man takes off the mask. He looks like a certain segment of the population. All the superheroes look like you. And then we get this one guy, and I'm telling you, my son just looked up to him, man, and it's like, and then, and I did too. Like that's 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 just powerful to 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 have that representation. It, it ties in so, to so many other things. Like I told people all the time, I didn't always agree with everything Barack Obama said or did. Now he was smooth as, as all get out doing it. So it made it easy with, you know, with his charm and everything. But it was so important for me to see somebody that looked like me, or looked like my son, doing something that I thought we would never see in my lifetime. And this is, this is I mean, there's a there's a corollary there to to be drawn that actually does does make a, a connection, man. That's a serious heartfelt loss. Um, I I watched Black Panther when they aired it on TV the other night with no commercials, and I just sat there watching in my hotel room crying, man. Like that's a big loss, man. Wakanda forever. Bozeman and the cast, you hit on it. It was euphoria. It was euphoric. I mean, we just didn't had never seen it before, and it was for me. I'm not really into comic books and superheroes and even uh, movies for that matter. So it was like that escape that they gave us and then it gave, it was something more. So like I said, we're, we're talking about the movie of the century at this point in terms of impact and what it did. And you had people really looking at Wakanda and making that into their reality. It is motivation for people. You see people trying things that they never tried before. You you had a spur on or because um, it's not the first time because things always kind of go in these cycles. So we went back to looking at supporting each other in a black community, supporting black business and going out and trying to lift each other up versus, you know, going at each other. So we said, let's build this thing together. And uh, King T'Challa, that role and what he played was just, you know, monumental. So it was um, inspirational and we're seeing the um, the rewards of that, so, so to speak, with people um, trying to do more and be more. So, you know, if we're saying now living my best life or trying to be the best, best version of myself, I think a lot of people are doing that because of Wakanda Forever they're embracing technology. They're embracing themselves. They're embracing the continent. <laughs> so we had that divide. That's a, another show there where you have the back and forth between the continent and us that are here. So, you know what I'm saying? We had a bridging of the gap with that where we were like, let's come back. And yes, we had to pe uh, everybody go back to Ghana, the year of return. And we had that. We also had the classism that was there where everybody wasn't able to just get a passport and get a flight and go over to Ghana for a week or two or a month, whatever it was. But nonetheless, it was still, it spurred the best in us. And for that, I salute the King. Wakanda forever.
Moving on to a lighter note, in the latest versus battle, it was Brandy versus Monica. It was another good one. The ladies represented as they always do. And we had roughly about a million people on the whole time. Brandy and Monica did their thing. I was team Monica. I went back and forth, but I was told it was a Monica household. Team Monica held it down. Yeah, myself, I thought Brandy was going to run away with this. I was pleasantly surprised in Monica stepping up, having some hits. And I, I pulled up the numbers from my brother, KG, who sent it over in the family group chat, was just saying, Monica, Billboard, 100 hits. She had three number one hits. She had eight top 10 hits. She had 16 top 100 hits, where Brandy had two number one hits, seven top 10 hits, and 17 top 100 songs. So I, I, I didn't see that. I didn't remember that growing up. But, I mean, I knew Brandy, Monica, they definitely had that battle. Uh, the Boy Is Mine, I mean, just a smash hit. Um, I enjoyed the whole thing. Um, people were talking about the whole frenemy thing. They, they had that awkward, you know, weird energy between each other where it seemed like Brandy was trying to be more friendly joking and Monica was like, yeah, I'm not having it. And, you know, they, they spoke on them having a little little hiccup in their relationship. But, I mean, it seems like they're, they're trying to get past that, make that money. I, I'm not mad at them. But, I mean, it was enjoyable. And then after, oh, my God, like always, the memes were going crazy. We had people putting the, the white shoes on Monica. You had uh, people putting prosthetic legs on Monica, saying her, 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 <laughs> her pants looked like plastic legs. Uh, we had Brandy uh, wearing some weird, crazy outfit, some long jacket with the patches all over it and the patches on the jeans. Um, they had her uh, pretty much put Whoopi's face on her and said she looked like Whoopi Goldberg. So the memes were on fire. It was hilarious. Um, I enjoyed it uh, all the way through. Dude, did you really unintentionally just say Monica's not having it? Yo, that's kind of dope. I don't even think you did that on purpose. But yeah, that was dope, man. Look, the versus battle on the record in the family group chat, I did pick Brandy. Um, I went with Brandy because I had more fond memories of her music. Um, I knew Monica had the hits. But again, I always look at these things. I don't go hit versus hit. Some songs that might not be hits are still just really dope songs to you. So I don't care if it was a Billboard hit, it's still, it's still a banger. And so I had way more. Um, I honestly think Monica's was curated better. Like, I mean, like the, that catalog, like it does matter how you play it. Like, you know, you gotta put it, you gotta put the right song out at the right time. You might not have to do a spoken word piece before everyone. Uh, <laughs> so that might have a little something to do with it. In my opinion, Monica got that joint. I, I think I sent y'all in the family group chat, like probably at the midway point. Yeah, it's over dog, Monica won. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Carrie, y'all sister, she came in like, come on, it's not over yet. You know, let them, let them keep going. Don't call it yet. I was like, nah, it's over. She, the way she had put that segment together right there was before the break. I was like, yeah, I don't know what Brandy going to do to come come back from this one. This this was kind of dope. But again, I mean, if we want to keep, keep it with the same thing, all the best verses, they don't really have to be like looked at as a battle. I just figured if you did want to ask me who won, I would say that it was Monica. Um, I got that one wrong, but everybody won. Like you always say, KG, like we won because we got to go down memory lane. There was it was it was banger after banger after banger where I was just like, no, they did, and I'm just I'm like, ooh, I can't even. I'm watching trying to watch with two devices. I'm listening to, like it's gonna make. I'm gonna hear it twice as much. Like that's how good it was. I wanted to get down, and like you said, ha, see what I did? <laughs> I wanted to get down. Um, but nah, like, like the Jill and Jill and Erica joint, that's that's still gonna be my favorite. I'm partial to to to, to Ji, but yeah, man, Miss Norwood, or as I like to call her, Brandisha. Yeah, you 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 was you was this close, babe, but you ain't you ain't pull it off this time. So yes, we all won, but I I need to be clear, you did lose. We all won, but you lost. So we gotta go there because. If, if I lose, you're going to make sure everybody knows. So we got to do it, you know, tit for tat. 
<laughs> so you did lose on that one, 2K, <laughs> uh, to be sure. But uh, the, the one thing for me was that there was really no performance there. It was just the two of them sitting there, and I, I didn't really feel that. So um, Swizz, Tim, I mean, y'all going to have to make sure that we get a little more flavor there, you know what I'm saying, a little more excitement. And it seemed like they wanted to. It was like Monica wanted to sing, and I think most of us would be fair to say that we think Monica has a better voice than Brandy. I don't think that's really, you know what I'm saying, uh, controversial. <laughs> I think we we would say that. But uh, she didn't really do that in those poem, poems, Brandy. Come on. Like, we, we didn't need that. But but other than that, it, I enjoyed it. And then um, some of these other battles that we're talking about, you know, the next verses, that's the other thing. Who else would you like to see in a verses, you know? So I'm going to just throw some names out there and some verses that, you know what I'm saying, I would like to see. And some of the things that I've heard is, you know, Ashanti, Keisha Cole, you know what I'm saying? Keeping it with the ladies. Like, yeah, I like that. The ladies, you know what I'm saying? Bringing better numbers there. Like, let's let's do that. Craig G, what verses do you want to see? Yeah, definitely we need to see more of the ladies. More of the ladies. We need this. Um, I'm thinking like a Queen Latifah, MC Light. I think that'd be fire. Um, Foxy Brown versus Lil' Kim. Also, I mean, just, just straight dopeness right there. And then maybe just out of nowhere, hit him with a little Lady of Rays versus Charlie Baltimore. What y'all think? Wow. Lady of Rays versus Charlie Baltimore. So, seven viewers. Uh, okay, that's what's up. No, that, that, would be, that would be pretty cool. I mean, I do feel like we'd have a little viewership issue there. It would have. There's, there's, a, there's a small segment of people that want to see that. Uh, I like what y'all are throwing out there. Ashanti and Keisha Cole. I mean, look, the Heartbreak Hotel Joan edition. Lil' Kim versus Foxy sounds good. What about Mary J. Blige versus MJB? She got enough in her catalog. She can No, no, no. Tony Braxton. Oh, man. There you go. Put Tony I couldn't in think there. of somebody to get with Tony. MJB could get with Tony. That'd be a nice matchup right there. Yeah, there we go. See, I like it, bro. When we put our stuff together, most uh, teamwork makes the dream work. I like it. Yeah, and, and what about this KRS and LL? That's already been discussed on uh, on Ooh. IG with uh, with uh, Fat Joe. Where Fat Joe had KRS, and he was like, you know, what do you think about that? And, uh, and KRS was like, I, I, I'll kill him. And he was like, hold up. Joe was like, hold up, hold up. Not an actual battle. We just talk about twenty for twenty. He was like, I don't care. I, I, you know how many joints I got? So I would like to see that one too, though. Wow. That's yeah, that would be fine. No doubt. Big Daddy Kane brought Kim. Mm, that's, yeah, that's natural. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a natural matchup yeah. right there. I like that. <laughs> so we, 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 we can yes, that. yes, and yes. You know, so it's, it, you know, they say they got something coming. I wasn't, you know what I'm saying, necessarily enthused about Brandy versus Monica, but it turned out good. And I mean, Tim and uh, and Swizz, they know what they're doing. So I think we said that too, because Craig, you ran numbers and saw what it was, because we said that before. And it was like, sometimes you think, and I think people slept on Monica's catalog. I forgot one more, man. I, one more. Big versus, big important versus, bro. 2K versus Craig G. I still ain't forgot, dude. I'm bodying oh, yeah. you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bodying you, bro. Don't forget, you ain't off the hook. We just had more uh, pressing issues on on the agenda the last couple of weeks, but you're not off the you're not off the hook. I should just come off the top of the dome on you, but I already put the I already put the pen to the paper, bro. I've been in the lab. You done? You done? Now I can't wait. We're gonna keep it in hip hop. So we had Drake commenting on Yeezy and 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 the contract that. Yeezy has with Adidas and that he's not allowed to wear Jordans and, and Drake's response is you can't tell a black man not to wear Jordans like that's a, a a birthright now like if we talked about earlier with you know coach Thompson and with the culture and the impact so it's like George you just got to write that into the contract you just got to be able to wear Jordans no matter what it is hey if you wear them hey it's all love but anything else it's a wrap what y'all think? 
it's always some controversy with with Kanye. I mean, come on, man. You can't wear your competitor's shoes, you know? If you're competing with him, you want to take the, you know, take the lead, you can't say, but I'm not gonna rock mine, I'm gonna rock his. That that doesn't work. It doesn't work. You're not gonna you're not gonna see Jay-Z, you know, when he's got his S dot Carters out here rocking the, the Nikes. He's not gonna do it. He's rocking them terrible S dot Carters, right? Did he ever wear them? I never even, I never saw him wear them. Wear them. I'm I'm I never saw nobody wear them damn things. It's just awful. Shit. Hey, man, they had them joints at Marshall's, though. $6.99, bro. You can get, I can get you a pair. They still got them down here in Florida, bro. I can get you a pair. What size you want, bro? $6.99. I can get you two, man. Your birthday coming up. <laughs> So is that is that the rule? Is, is that fairly accurate? Do we just go and say everybody has to understand that hey, Jordan is just a whole different level? So have the Jordans reached the level of the patent leather Oxford? Like if you got to get dressed up, black tie, you put on your tux, and you got to understand, okay, I got to put on my Oxfords, my patent leather Oxfords to go with it. The the Jordans are they in that category? You you sign a deal, but the company just got to be like, well, you can wear Jordans. I don't care. I don't think that's where it's at. I think where it's at is pretty much you're going to get this from Kanye. He's going to go against the grain no matter where he is, whether it's him trying to run for president, him trying to rock some shoes. It does not matter. It's Kanye being Kanye doing something he shouldn't be doing. But I think also it is a little bit of that, Craig G, the Kanye being Kanye thing. But, I mean, if you just took Kanye out of it and just told somebody who didn't know anything about the story, what happened and say, look, just pose the question just as an exercise, you know, you know, hey guys, what do you think? You think if you sign a deal with this, should Jordan get a pass? That's a pretty, culturally, that's a fair question. I bet, I bet it's pretty close to split down the middle on that one. And I don't even know which side I fall on. Like, I know the money, listen, you gotta get the money right, so you gotta handle business, but them, them Jordans, though. Them, them Jordans, though. <laughs> like, you, you got them J's, baby, that's that that might, as 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 our 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 boy Marco used to say, that might over supersede. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know for me, KG, I'd be able to just not not go without Jordans because I only wear Jordans now, so I'd be good. I've had you know a few in my in my lifetime, but I'm not you know a, a Jordan diehard, so I'd be good with that. Hold on, KG. I saw you about two weeks ago wearing some some J's. So come on now. Yeah, my son. You know what I'm saying. Pat said, "You know what I'm saying, Dad. We gotta get you. We gotta get these." So that was a gift. You know what I'm saying. I didn't go out and purchase them. Those were given to me. You know what I'm saying. And then you know what I'm saying. Your nephew. He said, "Hey, we gotta we gotta roll." So he's actually a little uh, versioning sneakerhead. So he's out here trying to always hey. I'm gonna design these shoes, you know what I'm saying? Um, they only 85, they only a hundred dollars. I'm like, dang, dude, you six years old, how you got a hundred dollar sneaker for? You know what I'm saying? This is ridiculous. But yeah, outside of him, I wouldn't have those. If it wasn't if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have no Jordans. The last Jordans I would have had would have been in uh in fourth grade. Whenever <laughs> that <for> was. <laughs> wow. Fourth grade. Fourth grade. <laughs> Hey, I'm actually thinking, do I have any Jordans? I don't even know. Um, I, I think I got more Jordan brand than Jordan. Yeah, I know when it came to the shoes, I didn't think they were comfortable. Um, and they definitely weren't comfortable for basketball. So I've had like maybe three pair in my life. Oh, I do. I got I got the black, the black on black patent leather with the, um, with the, what's the, with the clear sole, like the, the, the joints with the kind of like the black mm-hmm. and black with blue. Right. Um, yeah, that's the only ones I got. I got more. I got four pair of LeBrons right now. But yeah, I remember I just bought them other joints. I just bought something for O'Neal or whatever. But yeah, I don't think I got because I, I like to play in them joints. And plus, I got crazy feet, man. Maybe the, maybe Jordan just ain't for me. Nah, what's name? They small. Uh, Nike narrow. Nike cut narrow. Real narrow. Yeah. Funny you brought up the comfort. I got some of the most comfortable Jordans ever. The the Jordan Futures. Man, them things are like slippers, bro. You put them on, they what? You rock them joints everywhere, but they are not for balling. And most people don't wear Jays balling anyway, so it's more just the casual shoe you rocking on the street anyway. So yeah, them futures, 
So where is that? Man, look, I played with some guys. I played in a little Tuesday night league over here, you know, six months ago. And the, the dudes would be out there balling in Jordans, man. I don't, I'm like, bro, they not, again, they not for me. So I, I went and got me some bronze. And that's going to be my one. Like I say, I can wear them just for fashion. And then when they get old, then I can ball in them. So I get a double use out of them. <laughs> that's how I'm trying to do it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't aware that they, that they did the lifestyle now. So uh, when Sophia was playing ball and, and they were red and black and I needed to find a sneaker and I went to get her so get her a pair and that was the only ones I could find. And I was like, oh man, yeah, red and black. And then the dude was like, but these aren't for performance. I was like, for performance, dang. I've been out the game that long, so I didn't know. I was like, well, she'll be good. She's she's just starting to play, so she gonna get these because they match that uniform. So we gonna go with these <laughs> red and black Jordans and, and call it a day. So uh, that's how I roll with it. But um, for me, I don't need. No are the Air Force Ones? Are the Air Force Ones performance? <laughs> Come on, bro. Come on, bro. Can't nobody ball the Air Force Ones but she, man. Get out of here. <laughs> well, you, you know them joints were special made for she. She, they had a regular joints. But back in the 90s, they were. People was rocking them in the 90s for sure. And before that, in the 80s, people were wearing them. Um, I don't know where that dropped off at, but definitely not now. Nah, you can't rock that, them. Cause... Air Force Ones before that, Chuck Taylor. So, I mean, people were balling in anything. Hey, KG, don't sleep on she. You know he got them hood feet, bro. He probably could. He probably could still ball. Just, look, I ain't gonna, I, I, have, I don't think I told this story to y'all before. I one time was trying to get, like, I just got out of boot camp. I was shooting basketball by myself, just on the court, just like, I just, you know, you hadn't played in a while. So I'm like, I haven't played in a while. I'm just trying to get back into it. There was a, a court on base. And this other dude was over there. He had just got off work. He had his uniform on. But he was just shooting. You know, and I, he was like, hey, man, you trying to play a little bit? And I'm like, I'm just waiting on my man. He about to come down here. We going to play Levi. So Levi comes down. He's like, nah, man, y'all go ahead. You go ahead. Y'all already warmed up. So the dude got on his uniform. He takes off the top, but keeps his, his pants on. And then he had on the boots, and he just untied them. Like a straight hood dude just untied the joint. And when I tell you this dude Molly Wop me, like I yeah, I was like, yo, this, I got at least I got on sneakers and basketball game. Like this dude has no chance. Bruh, he like that was his superpower, bro. He untied the boots and just got because he I was winning at first. He went over to the side, untied the boots, and drank look like Tim's. And then dude, because just start balling. He yeah, 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 crossing, doing all this spin move, left hand hook shots. I'm like, what? How are you doing this? And this yeah. So he got he got them sheet feet too, bro. I know he could ball like that in them Air Force Ones. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> hey, I'll change hey, my mind, bro. Cut that. Hey, I'll change my mind. Cut that out the episode, yo. <laughs> I think we've been I think we've been done for a minute. <laughs> I think we've been done for a minute. Um, Make sure that's not in it. Nah, nah, that's funny. Put that shit in it. This is Victory Formation. Let's take a knee. Next week, be sure to check out our NFL kickoff special. With our picks and predictions.